0: Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about sacraments of healing.
1: Hey, Lindsay, it's it's good to be with you again, and after a, a holiday weekend and all of that, uh, yes, uh, the sacraments of healing, and and there is a lot to be said for them, and and what what's what's really interesting when we, we start to talk about the sacraments of healing is is the marvelous development that really has taken place over the centuries you might say of what healing means it used to be really pretty much strictly to you know a uh, your arm was had to be operated you're going to have a heart attack or you were had something it was something to do with physical but what we have come to realize more and more is the element of of spiritual healing of, of, of mental healing those that there's a lot more that that can be said about healing than just whether or not you know you have to have your arms sewn up or you have to you know have an operation or something like that um, so it, it, it takes on and so when I think about even some of the how I've celebrated the sacraments of healing uh, it, it really makes a difference into the types of healing that you see. And, and I have been able to experience with folks who have entered into these uh, times of sacraments. And one of the things to remember is that when it comes to, the, again, the sacraments, is that we believe these are, these are very, very important and keys way that people experience God and experience the, the prayer and the, and the unity with the church, with Jesus also. And so just to touch upon a little bit uh, of the sacrament of healing when it comes to reconciliation uh, or confession or penance, you know, depending upon which term you use, we covered the sacrament of reconciliation a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm not going to go quite into that as much as we might have otherwise, because we really, that that we covered an awful lot there. But again, when it comes to uh, reconciliation, the elements of it really are contrition, confession, uh, absolution and satisfaction. The idea that there is a genuine recognition of, that one is contrite, one is sorry for what they have done. It's its not somehow like going in and saying, well, I'm going to do this because I can just go in and get myself zapped and I'm now all clean and then I can go do it again, you know. That's, that's you know, a person has not, I would say, not really celebrated the sacrament as much as it now has been approached as more magical. There has to be a genuine sense of sorrow, you know, that that the pat you look at it and say, wow, you know, I really messed up. Uh, some relationships have been broken there or have been really wounded with self, others, and God. And so I, I know that there is a need for me to really say I'm sorry, uh, to be able to say that out loud. You know, um, we can't hurt God, it's not possible. We hurt one another. And, and, and there is an important piece of being able to say it to another human being. You know, the, the, the priest, in a sense, uh, representing Christ, you know, in the sacrament, but also representing humanity, is that you hurt people. In the way past, when it was Christian communities, they would stand up and publicly confess their sins. And there's something about that, you know, particularly in small communities where everybody knew your sins anyway. You know, it's not like you were telling them anything new. <laughs> But to be able to say to somebody out loud, or to say it to a community out loud, I really am sorry for having done this. I know that I hurt people. I know that this has affected the whole community or this person's life in particular. And and I ask for your forgiveness. You know, forgiveness from God. You know, in many ways we're assured if we're genuine, God has promised. You know, I forgive you, but. But we also have to address that issue of the forgiveness of the community, of of, of how we connect to the community. And then the the sense of absolution, that the prayer of absolution, that says to a human being, as a representative, not only of the Lord, but as a representative of the community, I forgive you. I'm not there to rant and rave. I'm not there to pry or to probe. I'm not there to chastise. I am there to say, you are forgiven." And and sometimes we forget that. Sometimes clergy forget that, too, um, that that our role is is to forgive and to remind people of forgiveness. And the tremendous, tremendous power that that can have when a person who has truly done great harm and, and whatever, hears another person say to them, unconditionally, you're forgiven. And then the, the, the idea of satisfaction that it's not just somehow, you know, a get out of hell free card like in Monopoly game, it, that that there is the commitment saying, my I am going to take steps now <clears throat> to change my life. I am going to be deliberate, I am going to be very conscientious, I am going to make choices that really begin now to change my life. And so that whole idea is, is that there is that commitment. To say, I'm going to try to do the very best I can. Knowing I may make the mistake again, but I'm going to do the very best I can to truly uh, live differently. And to live as, you know, Jesus would say to the uh, adulterous woman who was caught, you know, go, but no longer do this sin. In some ways we say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Go, but no longer do this sin.
0: It's all about intention. Yeah. Yeah. If you intend just to come in and say, sorry, but you're going to go, you know, you're going to go do it again. Well, that doesn't count. No, it it just if you're trying to do better. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's no magic here. You know, and that's the thing, you know, sacraments are not about magic. They're about real people, real lives being touched by the real hand of God. And so the intent, you know, what one intends to do and such, you know, makes a huge difference uh, so that it takes away that sense of the magic. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a terribly important. Sometimes just just a little bit of the about the sacrament too is sometimes we talk about the the seal of confession. The fact is is that that seal, the fact that what is said between you know uh, it's pre, you know which is protected in church law, but it's also protected by by in some ways by civil law because of. Of, of under, you know, separation of church and state. Once somebody tells me something, and I really believe it's the gift of the Spirit, unless it's so out there, I mean, so out there, is that uh, I don't remember these things. I mean, I think it's the grace of the Spirit, the one we don't remember. But for adults, that's terribly important, because many times adults come in, one, they're fearful, they're embarrassed, they're afraid that somehow I am going to Look at them differently whenever I see them in public or whatever, and I would say ninety nine and nine tenths percent of the time, unless I said it's so out there, I would have no clue what you told me an hour or two ago in that reconciliation room. It just it just doesn't work that way that we remember or try to remember. But the other thing is that we have the obligation, a moral obligation, to to that sense of the seal of confession. It's oftentimes referred to also like <clears throat> sub-rosa, which, which is really uh, translated as under the rose. There was a lot of legends as to where that come from, came from. That, that sense of the um, under the rose was with actually some of the Greek gods. Uh, that uh, There was a myth there that said that Cupid uh, bribed Harpocrates, the god of silence, He bribed Hippocrates with a rose so that he would not reveal the amorous activities of Venus, who certainly lived out her, uh, you know, her legendary, you know.
0: And all it took was a rose.
1: All it took was a rose. Um, Also, what's interesting, though, is that above confessionals in many older churches, you'll see a rose. And then it speaks of, you know, the the bond, you know, or I should say the commitment of what is said there stays there even more strongly than what is said in Vegas stays in Vegas. Okay? <laughs> then you have the, you know, and, and not only that is that oftentimes, in, in even in dining room tables, sometimes in areas, that uh, might be in a seminary or it might be in, in a church dining room and sometimes in per, private homes, there is a rose that somehow uh, was either in the ceiling or on a light fixture or whatever, that idea that, that are in a, over a dining room table, that the idea being that any things spoken around that table in the sanctity of a family stayed there.
0: Huh. Stayed there. Interesting. I feel but, like I need to go to my parents' house and look at their <laughs> well, light fixture.
1: And you never know because yeah. a lot of times I have done that at times, and, and particularly in older, older homes and sometimes, in, like I said, in rectories, older, older rectories where that rose would be placed. And again, look for it at times if you go into an old church, not so much the new ones, but in the old ones, there may very well be a rose over top the area where the reconciliation room is. Again, sub-rosa, under the rose, the idea that what is said there stays there, and there is a sacred duty to make sure. And, and the church takes that very seriously, that if there is an accusation. In fact, I remember even in in our preaching courses and and when we were doing sacramental work, ours professors, you know, told us very clearly, do not refer ever to the confessional. Mm -hmm. Just do not refer to it. He said, you know, you could be talking about something somebody told for you. It's not like there's that many original sins out there. (laughs) He said, you could be talking about something somebody reflected with you, 40 years ago, but somebody in that pew will identify themselves with it mm. And he said, just don't even go there. Don't even go there So it's and that's been you know, really a, a wise thing because when there have been instances Whether in our own diocese or others is that the bishop takes that very seriously and generally those things can end up going to Rome because that I mean that is how serious you know, revealing possibly what was said in the confessional is taken. You simply do not tell, and and uh, I would say, the vast majority really do experience a tremendous, tremendous sense of healing, um, spiritual healing, mm-hmm. can, and and that spiritual healing can lead to physical healing. I, I think we we begin to see the connectedness, and that that leads into the sacrament, you might say, of of anointing. Um, Spiritual healing and, and, and physical healing are oftentimes connected. Uh, that certainly was the case where they saw when a person was physically sick that somehow it was connected to sin. And and thank goodness we've, we've really moved away from that. Although there are those people who still believe that, you know, they ended up cancer, it's because of some terrible sin. And saying, no, no, there is no connection there with that. Lord knows that, uh, you know, cancer can be caused by a lot of different things. Generally, uh, just committing a sin is not you know God's way of punishing us. I, you know, the sacrament doesn't even speak of that. But the sacrament of, of, of anointing um, really again consists of one there needs to be a priest, there needs to be the laying on of hands, uh, there needs to be the prayer of the person, and there needs to be the actual anointing. This is one sacrament where the deacon is not able to uh, to what he is not able to do that. And it has a lot to do with because the sacrament of anointing, deals with also the forgiveness of sin. You know, there, there is the connectedness. And so uh, a person is able to be able, is able to then, you know, not only know forgiveness, but also be anointed for healing of body, mind, or spirit. When we talk about the sacrament of, of anointing, again, it's a lot of times there's a lot of misunderstanding because of some of the history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the, when you think about the effects of it, again, there. this is about real life, real people, real presence of God, um, and, and those kinds of things, that uh, it joins the sick person with the passion of Christ. We believe, and I, we're, I believe we are probably the only faith tradition that believes in redemptive healing. Is, uh, redempt, I'm sorry, redemptive suffering. That in suffering... Uh, Redemption is able to take place, and and the primary example is Jesus himself. That how he redeemed all of us through his life, death, passion, life, passion, death, and resurrection, is that that there is that sense of redemptive suffering. And and we carry that in, in many ways, through our uh, sacrament of anointing. It can bring a sense of peace and courage. I've seen that, you know, more times than I can even begin to imagine, where, you know, rather than, you know, frightening a person when you come in, that has also helped them, you know, <laughs> is that the person is, finds a sense of peace, finds a sense of courage. They are now able to face death or the possibility without the fear that they once had. A lot of that has to do with the forgiveness of sin, encouraging people, and recognizing that it's not just me praying over the person. I represent the whole church. I represent, again, in persona Christi, that, that, that person of Jesus. That we as a whole church and people and Jesus himself, we are praying for you, for your healing and for your well-being. Can bring great, great uh, comfort. It's, it's amazing. It, it is amazing sometimes that the person, you think the person is, you know, comatose. Sometimes they might be. But you start praying the Lord's Prayer, and they start praying with you. You start, you know, if you start to, you make a blessing, and they make the sign, of, it's like people around the bed are gasping because like they haven't moved in the past six months, you know, and they make the sign of the cross. It is amazing the power of, of the Spirit, the power of God in the midst of all of this, and the signs of that in so many ways. And there is also that sense of, of restoring health. Whatever God decides what that is to mean, um, and it can prepare certainly one for the possibility of their death. Doesn't have to, but certainly can prepare
0: them. Now, it's anointing of the sick, though, right? So you can get it whether you're close to dying or going in for a surgery.
1: Absolutely. Right? You know, it's, it's people shouldn't wait until they're on death's doorstep. You know, this can be for somebody who is suffering from mental illness. This can be somebody who is going for surgery. But what if as someone who is a senior person and, you know, develops a bit of a, you know, cold or pneumonia, is that there are so many ways saying the sacrament is there for strength, for courage. It's not because you're on death's doorstep. And, and unfortunately, that part of it is because of the, a lot of times the name oftentimes was referred to as extreme unction. You know the final anointing. Well, extremunction really speaks of when you received it, not what you received. You know that idea of you were to be right on death's doorstep. And 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 part of the history of that is is that the penances going back into the early Christianity, the penances were so severe they could last up to decades. That you wanted to die. You wanted to make sure that if you were being anointed, you were not going to survive. Because if you did, you had to go through the penance. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, so, so it, it got connected with it was only for those who were right on death's doorstep. They were taking their final gasp. Well, we no longer promote that any longer. You know, even the church in its in educational processes saying this is for the sick. And you decide, tell me, is that well, oh no, no, I'm not that bad yet. Well, this is to help you make sure you don't get that bad, <laughs> you know, as opposed to thinking I've got to be right on death's doorstep. And unfortunately, again, because of some of the history of this, people have missed out on um, have missed out on the grace of the sacrament. In fact, even when people will call sometimes saying, I, I would like my mom or my dad anointed. But they're not real bad yet, Mm -hmm. you know. And what happens is that we never know when God decides, you know, a person's time is up. Is that they say, no, come like in a day or two or three. And that night they die. And saying, you know, so I've generally made it a rule of thumb. You call me, I'm going to be there. And if you tell me, you know, wait till tomorrow, I'm still probably (laughs) going to be there. Because... It's, it's it's the grace of the sacrament and, and and it's for the living you know it's interesting how there are those oftentimes and, and it's the emotion it's the grief and people you know will I will be called particularly in hospitals or or hospices or wherever and the person has already died saying father we, we they want the anointing and boy it's really tough to help you know a person understand and that's not the time for a theological you know, right. dissertation here. And saying the sacraments for the living, once they've deceased, you don't anoint a dead body. God's already taken care of the circumstances now. What I will do oftentimes to ally some of that fear or that concern again to address the grief, I will bless the body. Now, sometimes they they don't make the distinction. They want me to do something, sure. and they want
0: comfort. The, Yeah, they
1: want the church to do something. And so I'm not going to celebrate the sacrament because that makes no sense. And it also then goes back to the magical type of thing. But when you do, bless the bodies, and I, and I put together a bit of a, a, a blessing, for example, bless these hands. For they were gentle. They helped to raise people. Bless these feet. They they took the person to work. Bless this, this uh, mouth because they hopefully spoke words of love and stuff. You know, it's a way of saying this body, you know, really was the temple of the spirit, was an instrument of God. And so I'll get to know the person a little bit because you don't want to say something, you know, Saying, Wrong. Yeah. Right. You know, saying, no, no, that wasn't the person. yeah, you know, I'm glad they're dead type of thing. As opposed to being able to say, I get to know a little bit about the person. And then I will oftentimes just bless the body as the instrument of God's work here on earth. And, and it has nothing to do with anointings, has nothing to do with oil. It has everything to do with a blessing and calming people's fears is that we need to do better in some ways for that because otherwise it gets to be very magical.
0: In a perfect world, what happens in the anointing of the sick? Like, what's the process of that? In a perfect world, you know,
1: (laughs) God willing, and the creek don't rise, as they would say... (laughs) um, that we would come in. It used to be we have all silence, you know, and the person you didn't say a word. The priest came in. Today, when you come in the room and such, or or even the person maybe seated in a chair, and, and ideally you want family there. You want you want family there because sometimes you know because they're maybe they haven't been to church in a while or are uncomfortable family. Well, I'll leave you two alone now. No, actually, it'd be good if you were here. One, and ideally, if a person is able to celebrate reconciliation by stating, you know, what what they ask forgiveness for.
0: Now, do the family have to leave for that Yeah, that
1: that the family would leave for. That would be great. A lot of times that's not possible because they may not be able to articulate or whatever. Mm -hmm. They know I'm there, and they know that they are being prayed for, but they may not be able to articulate. You know, we start start with a prayer. uh, We start... With a, uh, a, like a penitential rite. We start with the, you know, so the absolution, forgiveness of sins. Then we move into the a scripture that speaks of, you know, uh, Jesus talks about healing, talks about that he's walking with. So there are a number of scripture, you have a piece of scripture. Then there is like a penitential rite. Um, Then I lay my hands on a person uh, and pray over them silently, asking that the grace and the power of the Spirit come upon them. And then after that, I would anoint them with oil uh, through this holy anointing. May the Lord in his love and mercy help you through the grace and the power of the sacrament. You know, may the Holy Spirit bless you, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So you anoint the forehead, and then you anoint the palms of the hands. And after that, then there's usually the Lord's Prayer. And then there is a final blessing that asks God's protection and to watch over this person. Again, at times I think it's probably more healing for the people who are standing around the the bed or the chair of the person than it is maybe for the person. But that's the that's the incredible aspect of the sacraments. So that process, you know, it, it would ideally you take takes place if it's an emergency, for example, in a in an uh, ER, emergency room, uh, um, is that then, you know, to just be able to touch the toe or the head or whatever, touch the part of the body, you know, and to, to pray the prayer of anointing. Uh, again, the idea being it's more family or whatever, um, that, you know, it's really asking God's blessings, particularly in that kind of emergency situation. Uh, Again, you know, a person, as long as we believe and assume, I always, first of all, I always believe that the person can hear. They may not be able to talk and they may seem to be comatose, but too much evidence and too many, uh, you know, too many medical people have said that the hearing is probably one of the last things to go is that I will usually go right up to their ear and I will tell them who I am. And I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do. And, you know, sometimes they respond, sometimes not so much. But as long as we have pretty much sure that they're alive, even if there's a little bit of a doubt, we're going to anoint because, again, it's for the living. But once we know that they have taken their last breath and we wouldn't anoint, then then I work with the family Mm -hmm. and I bless. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, it's not the time for trying to explain church protocols at that point in time. Right. You do the best you can. And that is something I learned over, over experience and time. You just... You <laughs> Trial do. You, and error. Yeah, you do. You make your mistakes. And sometimes, you know, I think back in different times like that, Lindsay, and I think I really didn't tend to them spiritually. Oh, I told them church rules, <laughs> but I didn't tend to the family spiritually. And I have learned over that, that, you know, over time, that that's where you kind of a little bit fly by the seat of your pants and you be a little bit more creative, of, of uh, that's and that's where a gift you know I, I tend to have a a bit more of a gift of, of uh, speaking extemporaneously you know that's where you you use your gift of gab to kind of <laughs> yeah. bring it together
0: all right well i think that's it for today on sacraments of healing next time we will discuss
1: sacraments of mission would include like marriage and uh, ordination and, and stuff like that that uh, these are commitments that people make and in to live out the mission of of uh, of one's faith
0: so sacraments of mission next time all right stay tuned yeah. and we'll see you later